Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. Today we're going to talk about education. Joining me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have one guest with us today. Gerardo Gonzalez is the dean of the Indiana University School of Education. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Dean Gonzalez, welcome to you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. here. Mary Catherine, Hi, we've been talking about education quite a bit lately. We have. We've had quite a focus on this. And I wonder if that's not a kind of something we should think about uh, as far as focusing on a topic for a while. You get a, real, a nice chance to really explore the topic. Get a little more depth. Mm-hmm. Don't we? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's good. Uh, we had, uh, I guess it was three weeks ago, I think we had Jim Harvey and the two high school principals from North and South. And we talked about the trip to California. And Gerardo was on that trip. Uh, as well. And then we had last week Alan Blankstein from the uh, Hope Foundation, and we talked about their program. So today we're going to talk with uh, Dean Gonzalez about all, all things education. Um, let's just start out this way. Uh, the state legislature is in session, and there are bills that are working their way through. Um, what are some of the bills you're keeping an eye on, and, and how are they doing? Well, there are, there are some very exciting things happening in education in the legislature uh, this year. Um, uh, I read this morning that uh, a full-day kindergarten uh, passed the Senate, uh, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the funding formula for, for schools, and it seem, there seems to be a, a commitment to, to increasing uh, funding uh, this year uh, for schools, particularly those in the urban areas where there's a particularly high need for uh, special support. And one initiative that we're uh, very excited about and following uh, very closely is the Pathways Initiative, which is a way for uh, Indiana University to engage uh, with some high-risk uh, schools in uh, uh, Marion County, St. Joseph County, uh, Lake County, and, and others throughout the state to demonstrate how a major research university can partner with uh, schools to improve student achievement and preparation for for college. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was passed by the House last night. So we're we're very excited, and we hope that the Senate will support it as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, talk a little bit more about the Pathways Initiative. Uh, um, Say if IU was going to work with a school system in Marion County, uh, or would it be just one – would it be a, a school or the whole system? What we're looking to do is to identify a set of uh, high schools that are high-need schools and then um, uh, work with their feeder middle schools as well to engage in very substantive ways. Uh, There is obviously a lot of interest and concern um, to have uh, universities uh, partner with schools to improve education from preschool through through college, what we call the P-16 initiatives. And, uh, and in part, it's, uh, it's expected to, to, uh, to have that kind of relationship because our future as uh, universities uh, are so intimately intertwined with the futures of K- K-12 schools. Mm-hmm. But universities are not traditionally funded to do that kind of work. And so while there is the social uh, expectation and interest to have the university involved with, with K-12, and we are to some extent, um, what the Pathways Initiative would do is provide special funding to, to really demonstrate how those partnerships can be um, institutionalized. Uh, and what we would do is uh, we would have a faculty uh, who are designated to work with the schools. We would have um, what we call... Uh, coaches that would be on site in the schools that would then link to the to the uh, to the faculty and and we're looking at involving our regional campuses as well. So mm-hmm. IUPUI would be involved in Marion County, IU Northwest would be involved, IU South Bend would be involved in in South Bend, uh, and then uh, uh, Bloomington would work with faculty in those uh, uh, campuses, uh, along with uh, 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 teachers or uh, uh, people that would be recruited to be special coaches, they would be trained on, on how to provide professional development on site. We will use technology to help um, uh, give access to teachers for teacher materials, um, uh, new new developments uh, in education. 
Uh, we would have summer camp for, for students to visit the campus and know about college. Uh, we've been thinking of offering special scholarships for students who achieve a high levels. And all of this will have a special focus on math and sciences because obviously math and sciences are courses that are gateway to, uh, to college. And overall, the initiative is to prepare those students who have been uh, traditionally underserved by our educational system uh, for college and the workforce. Mm-hmm. Hit several several topics that are yeah. worth following up on here. Let me uh, remind our listeners that you can call and join this discussion with uh, Indiana University School of Education Dean Gerardo Gonzalez by phoning us at 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. That seems like a good idea from the university's standpoint as well uh, to bring those uh, students into the fold and, and develop a relationship with them early on in their uh, educational process and, and then hopefully bring them on uh, to Indiana University. But um, I had another question that just completely flew out of my mind. Go well, ahead. Well, I'll, yeah, let me. Yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll jump in there and save you. Thanks. <laughs> it's been a long week. It's Friday. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it does seem like uh, I think typically a lot of people look at the School of Education as a place where Indiana University trains people to go out and be teachers. But it really is so much more than that. And I think you've, you've touched on a whole lot of things about teacher development, about a lot of the research that goes on about learning. Could you sort of, uh, you know, I, I don't want you to do this in 25 words or less, but as succinctly as possible, talk about some of the, some of the various things that the School of Education is involved with. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we actually have a strategic plan that has uh, five central goals. Uh, one is to maintain our commitment to high-quality teacher preparation. I mean, we uh, prepare more teachers for Indiana than any other single in institution. We're one of, the, one of the nation's largest producers of, of teachers. But the other goals are to also enhance our graduate education and research because teacher practices are based on good research. And we are mm-hmm. informing schools, we're informing teacher preparation through through our research, and and that uh, that's, that's important to do as well. Uh, we have a commitment to strengthening partnerships with schools and communities. And, and there, uh, Bob, the... The idea that our practice in training teachers is based on the practice of teaching in the schools. And so when we say a partnership, some people think of it as a service that the the university takes out to the school because we have such world-class researchers and experts. But it's really a, a, a dynamic interaction because our faculty, by being engaged with the schools, are able to bring back to realities of the classroom to our to our students. It informs our research, and so it's a mutually beneficial uh, engagement. We have a commitment to maintaining leadership uh, in technology. Uh, you know, obviously, technology is transforming the way we live, and it's transforming education in some ways. And the School of Education, in fact, the building here in Bloomington was dedicated uh, as a demonstration site for state-of-the-art technology. We have uh, a commitment to maintaining uh, that kind of uh, leadership position. And then the, the fifth goal is to promote diversity in all its forms. Uh, not only do, do we send students all over the world as they prepare themselves to be uh, teachers, but we are actively working to recruit students who have been uh, traditionally underrepresented, and, and we're very aggressively recruiting faculty. I mean, the kind of world that we're going to live in requires that we be sensitive to, to diversity, and, and part of our engagement with these uh, uh, pathway schools is because uh, they are uh, schools that have a great deal of diversity in them. Mm-hmm. So I was just going to say, th- yeah. those are sort of, sort of a, our, our focus, uh, strategic goals, uh, but they all uh, complement each other and, and work in tandem to essentially pr- produce uh, excellent teachers and excellent researchers and improve practice in the schools. Mm-hmm. Okay. As, as you uh, look at the future, are you – is it your hope or, or the university's goal to get people to start thinking in terms of instead of K-12 to think more seamlessly K-16 through 16 and just kind of uh, – you know, we think in terms of K-12 now as that's – 
standard, but would you eventually like to see K through 16 considered the standard? Yes, absolutely. I mean, one of the problems that I think we've had in education is that it has been so compartmentalized. You know, we have elementary education and middle school education and high schools and college, and they haven't always communicated with one another. And if there's one thing that we we know about education is that uh, success at one level depends on success at the other level. And so, for example, our our trustees have uh, have, uh, set a goal to double our diversity by 2011. And they have set a goal to increase the um, requirements, the emissions requirement for, for IU. Well, those two goals uh, cannot be achieved if we depend only on the traditional um, uh, sources of students and, and the traditional uh, preparation of students. So the Pathways Initiative in some ways is designed to enhance preparation so there will be more highly qualified students of color or students across the spectrum who would want to come to Indiana University and can be, uh, can be successful here. And ultimately, um, not only can we achieve our goal by helping K-12 achieve its goals, uh, K-12 benefits because uh, a, uh, a research university helps to enhance the economy of the state, which funds the schools, and we prepare the teachers who go to teach in those schools. And that means that the workforce benefits because we have better students prepared to work in 21st century industries. They have better preparation in math and science and those 21st century skills that are necessary. So that's part of, of the uh, sort of paradigm shift that we're trying to create is that all of, all of our futures are intimately intertwined and all of us can contribute, whether it be the business community, the higher education community, the, the community at large, the policymakers, to improve education because central to our success as, as a community and, frankly, as a nation uh, is to have uh, students who will be well prepared for for the economies of the future. So we always hear the saying, begin with the end in mind. So how much time do you spend uh, interacting with business leaders who say this is what we need people turned out to, with, the, with the capability of doing? Well, I, Steen and I spend a lot of time talking with business leaders, some who, some who are alumni of our School of Education, but uh, others who are not, uh, and try to impress on them how important it is that they invest in education in their communities and, and, and nationally because ultimately um, uh, the business community stands to gain from having a, a world-class system of, of education. I mean, that's going to attract new industry workers that they will need and, and so on and so forth. So they need to be invested and they have to be engaged in improving schools at all levels. Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight and noon at indiana.edu. Our guest today is Gerardo Gonzalez, the dean of the Indiana University School of Education. You mentioned 21st century skills and, and as I, I said before, both you and I were on the trip to California to the New Technology High School and, and that school focuses on different kinds of skills that they actually grade their students on as opposed to grading on – in on math and science and English, they grade on communication and I don't know, a variety of critical thinking, problem solving, a bunch of other things. Um, Is that, do you believe that's the wave of the future for most schools or does it work in in certain settings and not in others? Well, I I think there are different learning styles and different students who benefit from different modes of instruction. I think uh, schools like the uh, new tech schools that we that we visited do have a place in a continuum of uh, choices that uh, that students and family ought to have for the kind of education they get. I think that for a particular group of uh, kids, uh, some of whom I would think are self-directed and can enjoy that sort of hands-on uh, experience, problem-solving, uh, guided uh, kind of instruction, um, it would be a, a very beneficial uh, thing to do. Uh, but uh, other students learn as well or in some cases better in more traditional ways. The, the important thing is to have very high-quality teachers and opportunities for students to be engaged in their, in their learning and supported to use the, the technology and the tools that we have available today to, to facilitate uh, uh, instruction and, and learning a, a across the board. Mm-hmm. I think your visit there, I, I would uh, just sort of add that that is an example of this, uh, one of your strategic goals of strengthening partnerships with school. I mean, the schools, I mean, the fact that you were along on, the, on that trip and, and were right in there with everybody else asking questions and making comments. So I think 
fulfill that goal? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I take every opportunity I can to to engage in meaningful ways and develop those partnerships. And and I think and I see this new technology school as a real opportunity for us to innovate uh, here in Bloomington. But you know, the new tech uh, idea has been. Um, uh, develop in in various uh, schools. I think there are five schools that have, that have received uh, planning grants to, to consider developing um, new tech schools. And we, through our new P16 center, are engaged with all of those schools. and uh, And I see uh, my personal role as as being a, a role model and and to be uh, an active participant, uh, just as I hope many of our faculty and and colleagues would would do. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked about graduate education and, and research, and I, I know that there are, you know, multiple areas of research that are, are being undertaken at the School of Education. Could you uh, isolate on one or two that you think are, are particularly interesting? Well, you know, our research agenda... <laughs> I'll get you in trouble. <laughs> no, no, our research agenda is, uh, is, is very broad and... Um, uh, it has uh, brought up uh, a great deal of distinction to to our institution and, and to our instruction because um, it's grounded in in practice and it uh, it really uh, fuels the the thinking in, about the preparation of teachers, preparation mm-hmm. of school leaders, and the like. But we have a, a, an initiative now that is funded by commitment to excellence funds. You know that that program that the trustees started to to develop. Uh, what we call a learning sciences program. It's quite an investment on the part of the trustees to to build on the excellence that exists in the School of Education. And what the research agenda there is to look at learning in context, particularly in technology-enriched classroom, uh, um, uh, informal learning settings and and the like. And that group is doing some some very interesting research that looks at how kids communicate in the classroom, the language, of instruction, they are looking at um, um, how to measure the interactions that take place between teachers and students in the classroom, digitize them, and then study them hmm. through uh, through through, te- through technology. Uh, and, and I think that whole research agenda is is very interesting. We've also uh, doing some uh, really uh, interesting work in the whole area of student engagement. We know that students who are engaged in their own learning, are active participants, uh, retain information better. And, and this research, frankly, uh, um, uh, is transforming the way uh, not only um, uh, high schools or K-12 schools, but, but colleges think about uh, a student learning. The National Study for Student Engagement is one of the largest uh, studies uh, uh, taking place um, in the nation about those characteristics of universities that are associated with high uh, levels of student learning. We now have a high school uh, study of student engagement that is looking at uh, uh, those characteristics of high schools that are associated with high levels of of uh, student learning. But uh, uh, you're right. I mean, um, our faculty, our world-class researchers, are our, our school is ranked among the top uh, ten public universities because of its research, and and there are lots of things that would would require you know a program just on that area just to, to scratch the surface. Mm-hmm. All right, eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight and noon at indiana dot edu. Um, full day kindergarten. Uh, I I would assume that there's been a lot of research done on on that. What are the what are the strengths of that? I think it's, it's very important. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that um, the governor has made this one of his uh, highest uh, uh, agenda items for the legislature. Uh, I think there's support on both uh, side, sides of the aisle for this because if students don't come to school ready to learn, they, they fall behind early on. And, and we do have good research that shows that students who are not reading at grade level by grade three, for example, never catch up. Or if they do, they, they do it at, at great cost. And, and so um, uh, preschool, uh, full-day kindergarten and even preschool opportunities, early childhood learning opportunities, uh, essentially help kids learn how to learn and build and provide the building blocks that then lead to more proficient levels in reading, which is the basic tool for learning, which then leads to a better performance in math and problem solving and some of the other things that we associate with uh, 
with that location. Are you uh, at all familiar with how the what form the bill took when it was passed? Uh, the reason I ask is, what about the kids who are ready to learn, who do come from a, a background where they've had a, maybe a preschool experience or a nursery school experience, and so they hit first grade or kindergarten, either one, even a half-day kindergarten, really where they need to be? Is is everybody going to have to, um, under what, the, what just got passed, uh, are all the children going to have to do full day? Well, no, I, I think that... Uh, uh, Indiana is not requiring everyone to attend full-day kindergarten. It's making it available for for all for all students. But even those who have already developed, um, uh, you know, high levels of proficiency at, at that level, could benefit from enriching experiences, which which I think the full-day kindergarten and, and early childhood education today provides. Mm-hmm. Good childhood education is based on national standards. You have teachers who are credentialed to work with young children. And one of the things about um, good teaching is the ability to provide differentiated instruction. And so just as you would find in in an elementary school or in a middle school or in a high school, at the early grades, uh, teachers uh, uh, would be able to determine where a child is and then differentiate instruction, the kinds of activities that will be engaged to take them to the next level. So so I don't think that uh, this is only for those who might be um, limited uh, in their experiences. I think early childhood education in general and full-day kindergarten can be enriching experiences for for all students. Okay, we have our first phone call of the day. Let's go to Mary. Mary? Uh, Hello. This is Mary. Um, I am a teacher educator at a a university, not IUPUI, in Indianapolis, and I'm a literacy uh, teaching and learning coach in urban high school in Indianapolis uh, also. Um, I have two comments or both comment questions. One, I certainly agree with everything that Dean has just said about early childhood education, but I am concerned, and I think full-day kindergarten, my son had full-day kindergarten in a private kindergarten here. Uh, He's 19 now, but um, and it was wonderful for him. But what worries me is that then they are, sometimes kindergarten is is, uh, made so academic it, and there's a distinction between working with the mind that develops and realizing that play is learning for children, even in kindergarten, and making a sort of graded uh, quasi-academic experience so that kids are getting A, B, and C. And, you know, when a kid fails kindergarten, maybe we should look at the system. That's the first comment, and I'd like to hear the dean's response to that, because I think early childhood education, as I know you're saying, should be very qualitative and should really look at the child's developing mind. And the second thing has to do with the other end, secondary. Uh, I have seen very little influence of our major school of education on the Bloomington schools beyond sixth grade. I've found very little differentiated instruction, if any. My child was... um, his normal intelligence with uh, ADHD, and uh, he happens to be a child of color adopted by a white family. And he's also an extremely active, mischievous, easily bored boy. And what I found is that school became the most unengaging experience for him after fifth grade. So unengaging that I was worried he was going to drop out, and I sent him to a special experiential boarding school for his last two years. And I just like the response of the dean, how can you really change, and I mean change, not just with technology and new tech stuff, although that's important, how do we change secondary school so it really does engage students in qualitative ways that are intellectual rather than just academic? And I'm really making a distinction there that intellectual deals with the development of the mind, academic looks at test scores and all the trappings of academic stuff. All right, Mary. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Let's take the kindergarten question first, and then we're going to take a break, and then we'll go back to the high school question. Okay, I I think um, uh, that was a very good uh, question. Um, uh, It is very important that um, uh, early childhood education kindergarten education be guided by the kind of national standards that I mentioned earlier uh, because what they try to do is uh, set the standards, if you go for what child ought to learn, know and be able to do at grade level. And, and frankly, uh, active engagement and play is a very important part of what 
kids do to, to learn. And in fact, uh, we just hire a, a new faculty member who will be joining us in the fall whose area of research expertise is the role of play in, in learning. So, so absolutely, I, I think that the key here is to make sure that the instruction is a great level and that the measures of outcomes of instruction are those that are appropriate for the various levels of education. Mm-hmm. Will you be able to fail kindergarten? I, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. I don't. I don't think we're going to be doing that. Okay. Well, we'll get back to the high school question in, in a second, but we've hit time for our break. So, you're listening to Noon Edition. Our guest is Gerardo Gonzalez, the dean of the Indiana University School of Education. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info WFIU is a media sponsor for Arts Week 2007. IUB Interim Provost Michael McRobbie and Bloomington Mayor Mark Cruzan help kick off Arts Week 2000 with an opening reception. Music by Bloomington High School North Jazz Combo, food and fun, part of this gala event. This evening from 5.30 to 7 at the Neil Marshall Black Cultural Center, corner of 7th and Jordan. More information at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today, Gerardo Gonzalez, the dean of the Indiana University School of Education. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. So when we, br- when we took a break, we had the second question from Mary still to be addressed. It was about high schools and high school engagement. Great. Well, um, uh, there is uh, some disturbing, disturbing data, uh, frankly, about um, how uh, much high school students in general are engaged in their learning. Um, a great uh, uh, number of high school students are bored in their in in their experiences in in high high schools and, and I think one of the uh, key things that that makes a difference uh, frankly uh, is the quality of of the teachers uh, so there are some social issues if we really want to uh, attract and retain the best teachers uh, the best you know, the best people into teaching uh, we have got to make some some commitments uh, to um, the role of of teaching and the status of teaching in our society, and the way that we that we fund our schools, and the way that we um, um, reward those teachers that excel. <clears throat> so, so I think that you know, changing the high schools and changing education across the board is a is a social uh, responsibility. That said, I do think that that we need to to make changes in, in schools um, that build on those things that have proven to be successful and in, innovate uh, with, with new activities. And it's, it's not just for kids with special needs, which, um, you know, the number of, st- of students with autism, for example, is, is growing dramatically. And we're learning a lot more about what to do with, with those kids. But I think we need to, to learn about, <clears throat> about uh, learning uh, in context, differential uh, styles of learning, and then prepare teachers that would be able to differentiate instruction and tend to the needs of, uh, of various uh, uh, various learners. I think that uh, engagement in learning and, and time on task uh, are critical to, uh, to student success and ex- experimenting with the kinds of activities that, that will provide the students experiences that connect their teaching to real-world uh, kinds of uh, experiences mm-hmm. that's, that's very important. Many students in high school especially uh, don't, see, don't see the instruction as relevant, so they get bored because they, why am I learning this? So I think we, we need to do a good job of uh, connecting uh, the, the basic information that uh, students are expected to learn 
to to the to the world at large and how it uh, informs uh, our lifestyle. But this isn't a new phenomenon. I had that experience when I was in high school umpteen years ago. I mean, I guess I kind of share Mary's frustration in this and that when is something actually going to change? Well, I think what's different, Mary Catherine, is that uh, now um, schools are expected to prepare all students for high levels of performance, whether it be in college or of the workplace. It used to be that schools were asked to sort students into those who would, uh, uh, you know, go into service industry mm-hmm. or low-skill industries and those who were college preparatory. Mm-hmm. And now, because of the 21st century industry, the skills that co- the high school graduates need to be successful in the workplace are beginning to look more and more like the skills that they need to be successful in college. And so, mm-hmm. so frankly, this is an unprecedented experiment in the world. No school system anywhere has be, ever been asked to prepare all children mm-hmm. uh, and increasingly diverse uh, children, uh, socioeconomically, racially, linguistically, uh, to, to high levels of proficiency. And, and so uh, it, is, it is different, although we always have had students who for whatever reason, uh, became bored, and, and frankly, have a, a too much of a, of a dropout rate in, in this in this country, and we need to get a handle uh, on that as as well. Uh, but the, but the key here is that unless we, as a society, are successful in in making sure that that students graduate and they graduate ready for the workforce or or for college, and and in many ways, those are one of the same thing. Our, our future as a nation is threatened. And and so uh, this is uh, this is an issue that requires all of our attention. Okay. All right, eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight and noon at indiana.edu. Our, our email that came in is from John Weikart, who, if you don't know John, he's the chancellor of Ivy Tech College of Indiana here in Bloomington. It begins, uh, there is significant activity in a collaboration between IU and Ivy Tech to articulate Ivy Tech's associate degree in education to IU's elementary education baccalaureate degree. Is Gerardo, Gerardo rather, excuse me, comfortable discussing? Absolutely. Um, I'm very excited about that partnership, and it's part of our uh, seamless system of education from preschool through college. The the community college or the Ivy Tech <clears throat> play a very important role in increasing access to students who might not otherwise be able to, to go uh, to, to, to college. Mm-hmm. And um, um, we have been working uh, closely with, with John and others throughout the state to articulate our education degree so that uh, wherever the students start their college career, if they want to be teachers, they have an opportunity to complete a four-year degree at an Indiana campus. Uh, So what uh, we have done uh, now, which I'm very proud to say, is uh, all of our campuses, as you know, as university, they have responsibility not just for Bloomington and Indianapolis, but also oversight and coordinating responsibility for the six regional campuses of IU. And we all got together and agreed on a common lower division curriculum for elementary preparation. Now, that sounds easy. You say, well, we should have been done doing that all the time, right? But the reality is that faculty have their own ideas mm-hmm. and for very good reason have developed curriculum that, that were not necessarily aligned. And so through a great deal of effort and hard work on the part of our faculty, we have now agreed on what is a, a, a common lower division curriculum for all of our four-year elementary program, which by far is our largest program. And uh, we are now prepared to engage in a conversation with Ivy Tech about uh, articulating that degree so that wherever a student uh, completes those four-year, those two years of lower division, Mm -hmm. uh, assuming that they uh, get the right grades and meets the the appropriate um, admission standards can then articulate to any campus of, of IU and, and, and be a teacher. There's, there's a great need for teachers. There will be The need will increase in the future. There's a need to diversify our teaching force, and we see this as an opportunity to, uh, to achieve those goals. And, and John has been very supportive. We've, we've had various conversations about uh, uh, setting a, a standard and being a model right here in Bloomington, and, and we're all very excited about uh, how the, those discussions are going. You mentioned uh, earlier about um, the status of teaching, and also I think we all know that teaching doesn't necessarily pay huge amounts of, of uh, real money to to teach. So I, I guess I, I, I'm heading toward a, a question about 
people coming into the profession. Um, you know, we're asking teachers to do an awful lot mm-hmm. these days and to uh, prepare young people to enter a workforce so they can be financially independent and successful. Are, are we able to attract the right number and the right kind of young people into the teaching profession today with the, as you said, the status that we kind of sort of put on the teaching profession and the pay that we're uh, able to allot to it. Okay. No, I mean, that, that is becoming an increasing uh, problem, particularly in the areas of uh, math and science and some others like special education, English as a second language, where they're very high, high needs. And as opportunities expand for, for women, for example, you know, teaching has been traditionally a, a, a woman's uh, profession or at least a woman's dominated uh, uh, profession. And as opportunities expand for women and, and frankly, uh, traditionally underserved groups, uh, minority groups and uh, others who have looked at teaching as, as, a, a, as a way to advance professionally, as those opportunities expand, then we are going to have to compete with other industries that pay much higher salaries for the people that they need. And so if we're going to have teachers uh, who are going to go into those high-need areas, uh, and again, I want to uh, underscore math and science and some of those critical areas, then we're going to have to think about ways to uh, make it attractive and to celebrate uh, teaching, make it, make it prestigious and, and make it uh, possible for them to earn a living uh, at the level that they might if they go into some of these other com- competing uh, competing industries. Mm-hmm. And, and so it is a social phenomenon. Um, <clears throat> various states have now um, introduced and in some cases enacted legislation providing bonuses for teachers go into those high-need areas and who teach in those high-need areas because not every area need has a critical shortage of teachers. Usually you find a critical shortage of math and science teachers in urban areas. And uh, those oftentimes are not the places where some of the teachers that are available want to go to teach. So so we have to set up a whole reward structure that will allow them to not only earn a, a high level of uh, uh, income that will at least a level that's compatible to other competing industries, but to go to work in those areas where they are needed most. Mm-hmm. It's always sort of struck me as ironic that we've sort of always told teachers we want you to uh, we want you to make thirty thousand dollars to do this job where you're going to teach our kids to make ninety thousand. You know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of it's always been seemed like teachers were a little undervalued in our society. Yeah, and if I may say, it's not only attracting people into teaching but keeping them there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, uh, we know that experience in teaching makes a big difference in, in the ability to impact student learning. And um, and oftentimes um, after students uh, after teachers begin teaching, um, they leave the profession because they're not uh, rewarded or recognized or supported in, in appropriate ways. And so we have to figure out ways to get more people into into teaching, and then um, to create the kinds of conditions and, and reward mechanisms that, that keep them there. Yeah, and I might also add that I don't think a lot of people go into teaching for the money anyway. I mean, there are a lot of other rewards that they get besides their paycheck. But okay, we have a phone call on, the, on a phone caller on the line. It's John. John, go ahead. Uh, yes, um, uh, particularly with your emphasis on uh, in uh, a curriculum that engages the students. I'm wondering if you'd comment on what you think the uh, effect and impact of No Child Left Behind has been. Uh, especially with its very test-oriented outcome, and I put an outcome in quotes there, oriented approach to education. Uh, just like your comment, whether you think it's been a positive or a negative uh, impact on our educational system. You know, I think the intent of No Child Left Behind has been, has been a good one, and that is to, to highlight that they are significant uh, gaps between traditionally underserved uh, students <clears throat> and those who have uh, had uh, better opportunities throughout their, their life uh, and, and to seek to close, uh, to close those gaps. Uh, for the reasons that I mentioned earlier, uh, we have got to, as a society, ensure that all children have access to a quality education and that they achieve at, at high levels. And I think No Child Left Behind was uh, first and foremost uh, designed to to address that problem, uh, to identify the achievement gaps and begin to close them. Well, I'm, a, I'm a substitute teacher, and I've worked in the system for off and on for 15 years, and I'm a certified teacher. 
And my observation is schools are more and more and more geared towards <coughs> teaching to a test. I don't think that's very good educated, a very good, uh, uh, you know, pedagogical approach. Yes, John. In fact, that's the, the next point that I was going to make is that, unfortunately, um, what, what is a, a, a well-intentioned uh, legislation uh, has been consumed by the need to show uh, changes in standardized test scores. Now, any, anyone in education that you talk with would tell you that those test scores only measure certain elements of what real learning is. And so I think that uh, I'm fond of saying myself that what we have in this country is a crisis of assessments. We don't know how to measure good student learning in, 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 in reliable, valid ways. And so we depend on efficient uh, uh, standardized tests that we all understand are reductionistic. And, um, and as a result, uh, because of the consequences that attach to those test results, the schools and the teaching then is geared to uh, raising those scores. So, so while measuring uh, student uh, content knowledge and to the extent that those tests do that is, is a good thing, we have to understand that uh, uh, teaching and learning um, uh, require more than th those types of, uh, of a standardized test. And that's frankly part of what we at, at the university have a responsibility to do through our research is identify uh, authentic forms of assessments uh, that would uh, better inform uh, when students are are achieving at at high uh, at, at high levels. Well, are uh, learning at high levels. That's right. <laughs> there I, might I, be a difference between yeah. achievement and learning. That's right. When uh, uh, learning in particular, absolutely. All well, right, John. Yeah, I, I, maybe we have a cr crisis cur curriculum actually, mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll let it go with that. All right, John. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot for the call. Eight five five zero eight one one. 877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. I, I want to ask you, you have to be in your position not only an expert on how to educate educators, but you also have to be an expert in education as a whole. And I'm wondering um, if you want to talk a little bit about your background. That's a, that's a lot to bite off. Well, uh, Mary Catherine, I never would have imagined myself as a dean of education. You know, I'm uh, I'm an immigrant um, uh, from Cuba. I came here as a Cuban refugee uh, at the age of 12. I did not speak English. I struggled with all the issues that you now hear about uh, kids who are coming to this country and, and who have English as a second language. Um, uh, I really, uh, uh, for for various reasons, was not very well prepared for for college, and and, and I was tracked into a vocational education track. And in fact, it was because of a, a, a community college in my in, where I was living that I was able to to go to college. And then it was in college that I learned about college. But once mm -hmm. I began to realize uh, the, the power of education and began to to get in touch with uh, the transformative uh, effects of being an educated person, I couldn't get enough of it. And so I knew right there and then that, uh, that you know, I would be committed to, to, get in, to achieving the highest levels of education for, for myself. And while in my wildest dream, I never thought I'd be a, I'd be a dean, um, uh, I went all the way through school, got my, my Ph.D., and, and I knew that I wanted to, to work in education. Um, for one reason or another, I kept getting drawn back to, to administration, although on various points in my life I try to do different things in education but different things. And finally I figured, well, maybe maybe this is just bad karma. I might as well do it now. Do it, <laughs> <laughs> do it some other life, you know. And, and so here I am. But uh, I am deeply committed to, to education. Uh, I'm the first in my family to attend college, and, and I have seen the firsthand uh, just how important it is. Wow. All right. We have a phone call. Let's go to Jim. Jim? Hello. Uh, I was just wanting to suggest I'm uh, one of those people that have a, a good background in science and mathematics, and I also have a uh, higher degree in in uh, another related field. And, and I would enjoy teaching, but uh, the requirement to go back and get a teaching license is uncost effective for me because I can make more money elsewhere. Why not allow someone like myself who would like to teach to come in and teach because I'm actually a good teacher. I've tutored many children and, and uh, improved uh, several from getting low grades, grade A's. Well, we at Indiana University are doing our part to, to try to make that possible. Uh, not long ago, we, uh, we instituted a program we call Transition to Teaching where someone with a math 
uh, degree, a bachelor's degree or science or any degree in, a, in an area of teaching can come and complete uh, uh, what we feel is a very high-quality um, field-based uh, teaching preparation in, in, in less than one year. Um, but we also this year get uh, a grant from the National Science Foundation to make it possible for some of those individuals who want to come and become teachers uh, in math and science as in sciences, uh, to, to be able to do so and provide, uh, provide us a, a scholarship. Uh, here in Bloomington, we're working with our colleagues in mathematics and in the College of Arts and Sciences to make it possible for, for more students to go into math and science, and this scholarship is, is available for both transition to teaching students and traditional students who, who want to prepare themselves to be math teachers. We're doing the same thing for science teachers in, in Indianapolis, and we're very fortunate uh, uh, that we uh, received this um, uh, 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 called NOISE uh, scholarship uh, uh, grants, uh, which are in, very competitive uh, nationally, and we're uh, one of the few institutions that is able to offer both uh, opportunities in math and in, and in science. Can, can I ask a further question? Sure, yeah. go ahead. Uh, my, my my thing is you're still saying that a person would have to, even if they get a scholarship, go back and get a degree and it takes time and all that sort of thing. What I'm suggesting is that a person in my situation has as high, if not higher, amount of education than most of your teachers. Why not allow someone like me to come in and say, okay, look, I've got a doctorate degree and I've got a uh, uh, my lower level degree is in mathematics and computers. Why not allow me to walk in the door and start teaching tomorrow? Well, you know, t teaching does require um, experiences, uh, teaching at grade level. And I, obviously, I don't know what your experiences are, uh, but um, uh, there is a, a general sense sometimes that because we all gone to school, if we can just walk into a classroom and we know the content uh, that we're able to, to teach it effectively. But we have an increasingly diverse uh, group of students uh, who bring their own needs and different perspectives, different learning styles, and, and part of teaching is, is learning uh, about um, student development, is, is learning about um, um, uh, instruction, the curriculum design, all those things that go into being able to uh, teach uh, kids at, uh, at grade level. So there's no question there there's some people who, who have an aptitude for teaching and, and could learn in the field. But as a profession, I think it's important that there be uh, consumer protection kinds of guarantees, if you will. And so I think having a license to teach is, is a very important social um, uh, gateway to ensure that uh, uh, people are not only know their subject well, uh, subject areas well, but are able to teach it effectively to an increasingly diverse group group of students. And you can only do that when you observe people in the classrooms, when the appropriate assessments are used, uh, where they are supervised experiences and, and monitoring all, uh, of performance. All right, Jim, thanks a lot for the call. We have uh, another caller on the line. It's Ann this time. Ann? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, I appreciate... Um, uh, the comments that have been made um, by this educator. Um, I had a couple of questions and also a comment. Um, in the county in which I live, um, I see a real systemic, um, um, this, I don't know what the word is, a systemic means of rooting out people that have diversity in their thinking. I'm not saying that they would teach differently. It does seem to be that we are hiring teachers, and you mentioned young people, and I think there are some of us that are uh, middle-aged that have a lot to offer, but we don't, the, the school corporation doesn't seem to hire people that have in my county that have the, um, they all seem to be right out of school and of a particular mindset, and that is I'm going to um, fit right in, and, and I, it's for me, not for the kids. I, I think to attract teachers who are really interested in the students and teaching, I'm not sure the monetary rewards are necessarily or should be um, the, the, the big uh, reinforcer. There, there does seem to be um, a need, I think, for people that really, truly want to make all people in our society, you know, educated. And I guess the question is, my question is to you, how do we engage the parent or parents of 
um, students of low socioeconomic means into the system so that they can help their children and reinforce them in the learning uh, of what needs to be learned and the behavior of, of how we can behave and, and succeed in this 21st century. Yeah, well, first, I want to, to um, uh, you know, acknowledge your point that many people, in fact, most people today who go into teaching are certainly not doing it for the money. They're doing it for the passion and, uh, and, and the rewards that come, that come uh, with, with teaching. Um, I think families are obviously very important, and our Pathways Initiative that was mentioned earlier uh, not only has a, a component to engage university with the school, but also to involve the family. We want to go into the communities. We want to work with uh, church groups. We want to work with family organizations, informal learning settings, uh, YMCAs where parents go to get their kids and so forth so that the, the community becomes involved. And, and no one in the community is more, more important. But for many of our poor children, uh, uh, families often uh, have uh, more than one job. Um, uh, you also oftentimes find single-family homes. And, and, and the time is not always available to engage with their children in education the way more traditional middle-class uh, educated families um, uh, who have had the benefits of college and the like uh, have. And so I think this community support structures are very important to, to making it possible for, uh, for families to, uh, to be engaged uh, regardless of socioeconomic uh, uh, status or, or, or background. All right, Ann. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Bye. All right, we have uh, less than two minutes to go, and I, I want to ask the dean this question. I want to know what, what are the characteristics of the most inspiring teacher that you ever had? When you think back to the teacher that inspired you the most, what was that teacher like? Uh, they're passionate about what they do. I mean, they, they love, truly love their, their area. They love uh, teaching. Um, they are respectful of differences. They understand uh, people uh, have different perspectives and different uh, uh, opinions. Uh, they know their subjects well. I mean, they, they do and, and are able to, to motivate others, to, to instill that passion for learning mm-hmm. uh, in others. I, I mean, I, you know, I think back of even my college experiences. I, there was a professor who made all the difference in my uh, persistence in, in, in college in spite of many difficulties that I encounter and, and because of that kind of very special relationship that I developed with this person and it's because of all those elements that, that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank you very much for being here. Our, our guest today was uh, Gerardo Gonzalez, the dean of the Indiana University School of Education, and uh, you have a tough job. Well, <laughs> somebody's got to do it. Got to do it. <laughs> they got the right man. Right. Thanks very thank, much for thank being you here. Thank you for having me. For Mary, Mary Catherine Carmichael, we had two producers today, Will Murphy and Joyce Piazzotto, and Mike Pashkash, our engineer. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.